Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Night Falls. Come, settle in for tonight's soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Before we begin, I'd like to let you know about a way to support the show. If you enjoy my stories and find they've helped you sleep or relax or just get lost in a tale for a while, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Premium subscribers get bonus episodes, ad-free listening and an all-round elevated sleep experience. And your support would allow me to keep creating stories and help my little podcast grow. The link is in the show notes. Come, get settled beside the campfire as I tell you of the preparations I made for Devani's first birthday in Nightfalls. Another cycle around the sun is no small feat and I think it's always worth acknowledging another year of surmounting the trials and tribulations that invite themselves into life, day in, day out. After the year that had passed, lounging by the falls and spending long nights drifting down the river on our little rowboat, I made it my business to celebrate the woman whose presence alone had brought me more joy than I had ever known before. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who make this free content possible. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. I've often been told I have a wandering heart, 
and though I've learned not to pay too much heed to what others think I am, that was something I'd always believed to be true of myself. Scarcely in my life had I felt so comfortable standing perfectly still as I did beside Devani that first summer in nightfalls. Day after day, the yellow warblers flitted in the trees around me. Week after week, new migrating birds made their nests in the clifftops. And whilst the natural world changed shape around me at a rate of knots, I was content to drag my feet, anchor up, and let the moment wash around me. Bird's usual chorus had changed. Fresh notes and new tones, brightening the sound of it just as the summer sun did the clearing itself. The morning chorus sounded sleepier than ever to my ears, perhaps in honour of the long, lazy summer days. I'd never paid much heed to jewels of any value, but the lake in nightfalls glittered more than I suspected even the finest cut diamonds might be capable of. I had wondered briefly if Devani ever thought about diamonds, about a very particular diamond that she might one day be willing to accept from me. If, of course, it transpired that she was the diamond-wanting type. All three clock hands seemed to turn slower in nightfalls. And so, whilst I felt there was no need to hurry anything along, I found myself making a mental note to do some sleuthing and find out if there were any stones she was particularly fond of. Devani and I spent much of our time together by then. The times we found ourselves apart, out on different errands across the clearing, I tended to spend wondering where she was and how her day was going. Tonight, however, let me tell you of one particular occasion where I finally found a use for my time apart from her. Tentatively, I had clued in Lyra earlier that day and asked her if she could create a distraction, a series of impossible tasks or some such thing to keep Devani occupied for a few hours whilst I set my plan in motion. I might have asked Anwen to assist me instead had she come to the surface that afternoon, but I suspected in the fair weather and warm waters she had taken Rhea out to explore the open ocean for the first time. Lyra was perhaps not the most tight-lipped of our friends, 
but her inability to keep secrets was not for lack of trying. Indeed, Lyra always had the very best intentions. Simply put, with so much knowledge knocking around in her mind, she had a habit of muddling up what she was supposed to be keeping to herself and what would be best if made common knowledge. Nevertheless, when I stressed that our collusion must remain covert, she assured me my secret was safe with her. Later that afternoon, when Lyra wandered out of the pine forest and asked Devani if she might be able to offer her a few hours of assistance, I wasn't entirely sure Devani would believe her. Lyra scarcely needed help with anything, and if she did, she would rarely be so inclined as to admit it. Even in her old age, Lyra much preferred to insist she had no need for our help until Devani, Anwin, or I made it our business to insist upon lending her a hand. Generally, Lyra would then huff about said insistence and throw her hands in the air as she stepped away and grumbled something about the fuss we were kicking up without cause. I'd grown to appreciate Lyra's indignation, for it was rare to find such a pleasant person with such innate stubbornness underpinning their character. Thankfully, Lyra had charm in buckets, and so it was difficult to find her natural disagreeableness disagreeable at all. I was quietly impressed with Lyra's performance and wondered if, like me, she had ever thought to dabble or dip her toes in the dramatic arts. For a moment I forgot myself and was almost entirely convinced by her as she ambled sheepishly into the clearing late that afternoon and asked, eyes downcast, if Devani might help her in gathering the herbs and flowers that only grew in the tree canopy and halfway up the cliffside where the birds nested. Lyra hadn't the legs for all that climbing anymore, she confessed with more than a little dramatic flair. In the months leading up to that summer, Devani had mastered the air magic that flowed through her veins. She could call the summer's breeze across the clearing on a whim to knock the flower bulbs, blossoms and fruits from their stems far easier than Lyra could scale the trees or hoist herself halfway up the cliffside. I knew it wouldn't take Devani long to summon the magic necessary but Lyra had agreed to draw her across the clearing, finding new flowers for her to forage until I set out a clear sign my mission was complete. It was to be Devani's birthday, the very next day, 
as she has made no bones about informing everyone around the campfire thrice a week for the three weeks preceding that afternoon. Although I knew that a birthday out in the mountains might look a little different to the ones Devani was accustomed to, I was set on making sure she got to celebrate another year around the sun. I'd start by making her Ladu. For the stories she had told me from her childhood, her parents always honoured that tradition, ensuring that before the main meal began, Devani's first taste was of something sweet on her birthday. I had only made Ladu once, and that was under Devani's instruction. So as I gathered my ingredients and dug out the recipe I'd scrawled out all those months ago, I rather hoped I'd taken detailed enough notes to get by on my own. With little time to lose before Devani made her way back to the clearing, I set to mixing the sugar and flour together to create the traditional treats. After I'd finished frying them off in ghee, I set the ladu out on a plate to cool and got to work on part two of the surprise I'd planned. It was one of the stories I told not so long ago around Nightfall's campfire that inspired my plan. Perhaps you recall the stories I've told of Clara and her grandmother Eliza, who always sends letters full of love and just a little wisdom writes when her granddaughter needs it the most. Devani is far wiser than I, so whilst I knew I would never be able to offer her any words of wisdom, I rather liked the idea of writing to her. It made sense to me to be setting down my feelings for her with pen on paper, for sometimes they felt far too big to speak aloud. I don't think there is anything quite as romantic as a love letter, and although perhaps I'm more of a romantic than Devani, generally once she has finished flushing deep red, I got the sense that she rather enjoyed my more sickly sweet admissions of love. I dug out the rucksack I had carried with me the day I discovered the falls, for there I had been storing up my letters to her. They may have felt small and menial in the hands of another, but in my hands the papers detailing our time together around the campfire felt as heavy as gold. I soon realised that they had gotten muddled up in all my rushing to hide them away over the months. I'd always tried to tuck them inside my rucksack before Devani had time to wonder what it was that drew me away from her in the early hours of the morning or late at night when I thought her to be sleeping deep enough not to notice my absence. I sent out a silent plea that Devani was still well and truly distracted by Lyra's ruse 
as I began rifling through my letters to her in an attempt to set them back in order. When I finally found the first letter I ever penned to Devani, I found myself wondering who it was that might have written the very first love letter. I imagined I had much in common with whoever it was that first felt their words, spoken unrehearsed and disorganized, were not enough to express how they felt for their love. Certainly, Shakespeare's sonnets had always struck me as a source of love letter, their poetry and mystery capturing the hearts and minds of the masses, whilst their meaning was perhaps only ever truly understood by one. There was an indirect directness about the famous sonnets that always drew my attention, I'd learned in falling for Devani that there was nothing at all direct about love, about feelings in general. My feelings felt formless and yet full-bodied, edgeless and made sharp by impossible angles. I rather admired anyone that could make enough sense of a feeling such as love to be able to mark it out on parchment. Though I had not taken pen to paper many times in my life, I vowed I would record as much as I could for Devani and myself. Without cameras and photographs to rely upon, I was perhaps more present than I had been since I was a boy. The memories I had of us together by the falls were more vivid than any of the others I'd saved up in the past. Though perhaps I didn't need reminding of our time together, I wanted Devani to know how I felt for her, even in the quiet moments when there was nothing to say and no plans to be made. That's why I sat down to write my first letter. Dear Devani, perhaps I ought not to call you dear just yet, for we've scarcely known each other a night, but I do hope that one day I can be that to you. I have a habit of getting carried away, of letting my thoughts run away with themselves, and your smile as you drifted down into the clearing on your kite last night, had my mind reeling miles into the future. My plans spun further and faster than they ever have before. Maybe you'll read this letter one day and will laugh about how fickle first impressions can be. Maybe it'll stand as proof of love at first sight. Or perhaps I'm already far too carried away and tomorrow you'll go on your way, I'll go on mine, and the night we shared locked in deep conversation will amount to nothing more. 
If the latter proves to be the case, then I think, perhaps, I could be okay with that. For four perfect hours, your eyes were on mine, making me feel more seen than I ever had. If I never come near to feeling quite so understood by another person again, I'll still be more than grateful for the evening I did. I have a feeling I'd trade a lifetime with someone else for even a moment with you. Yours, hopefully someday, Jeffrey. I distinctly remembered my haste to hide that first letter in the moments after I finished penning it. I supposed my desire to tuck it away made sense, for I might have come across as far too forward had I handed it to her at breakfast the next day. I recall so desperately wanting her to know that our paths crossing was the sole reason I believed in love at first sight. But I knew that had I told her so promptly, she might have thought my feelings for her fickle. I needed her to know that the feelings I was harboring had nothing to do with appearance, though it's true that I had never met anyone so beautiful as she. I hoped one day I'd have the courage to tell her that it was the light shining out of her drawing me in and the note that seemed to hum through her, stirring every fibre of my being and tripping my tempo over and over until it began to time with hers. I seemed less nervous of my convictions in the second letter, perhaps because winter had swept into the clearing and the cold weather had me hankering after a comfort I knew could only come from Devani. I hadn't seen the clearing change before then, and in truth, had never stood still in life long enough to notice the shift in the world around me. In nightfalls, animals were preparing for hibernation. Anwen was readying herself to dip back below the surface of the lake to avoid the cold air and all I could think of was finding someone to build a nest of my own with. I would come to realize that, just like the world around me, love comes in seasons, runs hot and cold, slowly and steadily, or sometimes faster than your heart can keep pace with. I read the second letter fondly, glad to relive what might have been one of the happiest moments of my life. Dear Devani, I woke up on the beach. The same soft sands at my back as the night before, but with a sudden sense that something, or rather someone, was coming for me. I can't profess to truly know you, 
but I'm quite sure I've missed you. I do believe that sometimes souls can be twinned enough to sense each other coming, for that is what happened to me. When I finally noticed your kite drifting over the mountain peaks back towards nightfalls, I could have sworn I knew you were on your way before I even saw you. For months I had risen at dawn and made the trek up to the mountain peak that looms over the clearing, eager to see you soar through the skies with the rising sun. I don't know how I had overslept that morning. Perhaps it was divine timing, or the intuition I had been learning to tap into when I first arrived in the falls. But had I not still been lazing on the beach after daybreak, I might have missed Devani's arrival and been too far up the mountainside before I realized her sights were set on nightfalls to make it back in time to meet her. Love is all about chance meetings, and my heart twinged at the notion that Devani might have landed here alone and thought perhaps I'd already moved on. When we first met, I hadn't been so determined to make my home in the clearing. But as the months passed, I drifted deeper and deeper into dreams of her and me sleeping soundly, side by side, on the beach in Nightfalls. I had visions of us, deciding where we might land on a map next, together, and they made it impossible to leave when there was still an outside chance she would return. I scanned through the final part of my letter. Though I don't imagine I'll ever admit it to you, Devani, I suppose I might have been waiting for you. I don't just want a life in nightfalls. I want a life here with you. I suppose I simply mean to say that in your time away, I've come to really rather care for you. And I hope your coming back here might mean that you return the sentiment. Yours. I hope. Jeffrey. By the time I penned my third letter, it seemed as though Devani and I had begun to learn more about one another. For it read, Dear Devani, I do hope you find this letter, and I hope it finds you well. I have a mind to make you a pillow out of the sands we sleep on and rest it on top for you to discover before you go to bed tonight. I love you and I'm quite sure of my convictions. I've wrestled with myself to determine if my intentions are wholly good and have decided that they are. 
I've outgrown my doubt that you might deserve better, or that I might not be enough for you. I've never met anyone so in tune with themselves, or with a better sense of what they want in life. I've never known anyone who made me feel so tall. I hope these letters might prove to you just how much you mean to me. I could watch paint dry with you, Devani. I could spend hours supermarket shopping and not get bored or frustrated. If you found a favourite song, I'd listen to it on repeat without complaint, because I know you'd sing along. I'd cook your favourite foods day after day and never get bored of the smile those flavours brought to your lips. I'm hoping you're here to stay. Yours, if you'll have me. Jeffrey. Smiling to myself, I tied the letters together and hit them away with the treats I had baked for breakfast the next morning. There was one final thing I had prepared for Devani. A wingsuit. The magic of the falls had assured me that in not too long at all, Devani would have faith enough in her magic to take to the skies alone. When I had aired the idea of the suit with him, he thought it a rather marvellous notion one that could help her get used to the sensation of flying without the wings of her paraglider to rely on so heavily. I had stitched the suit out of Devani's old kite in the months leading up to her birthday. It was purple, green, yellow and gold, and I hoped it would be a good fit. I had just finished hiding my preparations with a rather slapdash cloaking spell that I wasn't entirely sure I'd executed effectively when Lyra ambled back into the clearing ahead of Devani, looking rather nervous and speaking louder than normal so as to alert me to her presence. Devani looked exhausted but otherwise unaware of the plans I had for her birthday. And that evening, as she drifted off to sleep at my side, she made no effort to be forgiving about the runaround she said Lyra had given her all afternoon. I laughed softly, her scent drifting across my senses, as we fell asleep, side by side, on the beach.